Awesome date. December 29th, 2008. Awesome topic? What if Blade Runner was done by, like, a bunch of hot chicks and powered armor and shooting up, like, you know, boomers and stuff? This is the Awesome Cast. And welcome to the Awesome Cast. I'm Basil. I'm Kevin. And I'm Rail. And also featuring in the background. I am Lee! In the background! I'm playing Xbox! Again! <laughs> That's right, and that, in a word, is us. I hope you've all had a wonderful Christmas. By the time this airs, it actually has been Christmas, but it's not Christmas yet for us. My Christmas was awesome, I'm guessing. I have no clue. Actually, probably will kind of be nothing in particular, but whatever. <laughs> Hopefully, your Christmas is full of awesome things. Maybe you'll get, I don't know, Speed Racer. That'd be good. Speed Racer is awesome. So, we're also watching James play Mega yeah. Man 9 right now. And it's kind of hypnotic. I'm kind of, yeah, I'm being it hypnotized. Is, it is, it's... This is old school fun here. Yes, indeed. It's true. Man, I gotta tell you guys, when I started playing Mega Man 9, I was just like, oh, this is bliss, I'm back. I'm back. It's true. Like that. Well, I've played it a little bit before, but I've never had my own copy to play with. And now you have. I know. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. For he bought the Xbox Live points that allowed this to happen. It's true. And speaking of which, we're gonna head on straight into the world of awesome. Alright, Kingdom Hearts. Time for you to eat your heart out because apparently, according to Game of Sutra, Warren Spector is hard at work featuring a game, Disney game, featuring Mickey Mouse set into a sort of a post-apocalyptic world. What? <laughs> awesome. What is it, it? The crossing fallout with... Uh... The, uh, the concept art is claimed to be detailing a sort of dystopian Disney-tinged epic. <laughs> it features a distinctly shadowed steampunk vibe. It apparently also includes a description of machines wearing the faces of the seven dwarves. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Disney allowed their... I was surprised when they allowed Kingdom Hearts to be made. Now they're allowing... Well, first of all, this is Warren Spector. This is the guy who did Deus Ex and, you know, um, System Shock. Yes. Like, which eventually, you know, inspired Bioshock. Bioshock. You know, this this man's really good at his freaking games. No, I, I'm not doubting his uh, abilities whatsoever. I'm just surprised that Disney, that Disney is allowing, go for this. allowing him to beshame our beloved literary, I mean, Disney characters. Yeah. I, well, and I support it full-heartedly, but it's weird. Well, it's been pretty well known for a while that... Um, Spectre's uh, Junction Point Studios is owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. And they've been talking about, like, he's been like, hey, I'm going to have a really cool project I'm working with Disney and Pixar on, and you're going to be kind of pretty amazed by what I do. You know, and so it very well could be, in fact, be this weird sort of, you know, steampunk Disney thing. Better Kingdom Hearts than Kingdom Hearts. We Possibly. Hope. We can Which, only hope. I mean, it, it might actually do what, you know, it needs to do, which is, you know, be more Disney and less, you know, Organization 13. <laughs> Anywho, speaking of things that, well, shouldn't exist. shouldn't exist, apparently won't anytime soon, the Castlevania film is now on indefinite hiatus. Yay! Yay! Apparently, due to the sale of uh, the Shibir uh, Rogue Pictures, the 2007 Writers Guild strike and the looming threat of the upcoming Screen Actors Guild strike... Apparently, it's like 
uh, apparently the director, Paul W.S. Anderson, who also did Alien vs. Predator and Resident Evil, was yeah. pretty much yeah. like, yeah, it's probably not going to be done anytime soon. <laughs> and we're all thankful for that because... Of, They're going to give Belmont a sword. And not a whip. He but, needs to whip it good. Though it's really funny, his uh, quote is, it's a project that everyone likes. I love the video game. I think the script is really strong. Everyone <laughs> is really enthusiastic about it, but we're still in the process of deciding when the movie gets shot. Isn't that what they always say? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Uh, That's um, I think is, this is my good publicity. Speech. Well, who's gonna say? Well, I'm working on this movie. I had a lot of confidence in it, but it's just gonna suck ass, guys. So we're not gonna do it. I wish more people would say that. But <laughs> what is that? What is that? What is that dude with the horrible movies gonna make Contra? That Uwe Boll or whatever the fuck. Oh. God. My name is Uwe Boll. I'm making the concert. I hope well, you that, was a, that was that was a parody. <laughs> I know. Um, I am the I am the latest genius you mother. Yes. Can I, we say that? Yes, we can. Oh yeah, you motherfucker. I don't like you, evil. <laughs> Speaking of which, oh, he probably goes. I learned. It's one thing if you're making a huge movie where you have like two million dollars and you say, "Oh fuck it, there's a SAG strike. We'll just wait." For other movies, it's very difficult to go in production if there's a threat you'll have to close down. Mm-hmm. Not many movies can afford to take that take the hit of putting the cast and crew on haze for months while the strike gets resolved. I can understand that. So I think in terms of anything, we're we're developing. There won't be any sort of uh, priority until the strike is resolved. So you know, and he also mentioned he's not working no longer working on a movie based off Spy Hunter because he's not enthusiastic about it. Which why, <laughs> why would you take the project if you were an enthusiast? I, I don't know. It's freaking Spy Hunter. I mean... It probably sounded like a great idea at first, and then they started working on it, and were like, yeah... It's like remaking Knight Rider. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, oh wait. <laughs> Play the Knight Rider theme, James. Give us a Sunday Cobra. Yeah. And sadly, in more movie news, Keanu Reeves hopes to star in the uh, live-action adaptation of Cowboy Bebop. Oh, sweet <laughs> Jesus. Sweet oh, Jesus, no. Amazing. He had to ruin Day of the Earth Stood Still for me. Now he's got to ruin Cowboy Bebop. He's apparently telling, uh, the, he told the MTV blog that he's looking forward and he's hoping to play Spike Spiegel. Wow. In the, in the live-action Cowboy Bebop movie. Well, wow. uh, no. they could cast the worst actor, but they'd have to look. <laughs> you know, you'd save a lot of money if you just cast some random dude and he'd probably be better. Yeah. You'd save like an ass ton of money and I would maybe like the movie. <laughs> well, I might not hate the movie, but yeah, it's not going to help it, really. I, I, could, I would still go see it and it, give it a chance, but I well, mean... Hell, I'm willing to go see the Dragon Ball movie and I'm sure that's going to blow. <laughs> I'm going to the Dragon Ball movie just to laugh at it. I think we all are. I'm going to get drunk. I mean, <laughs> to laugh at, yes. So are we going to go see it, Monaco? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> they, they, have the alcohol. they serve the alcohol. Is it coming out in like April or something? I don't pay attention to these things. It's coming out. And it's I'm coming out be... far too soon. The next movie I'm looking forward to is the new Fast and Furious. Not because <laughs> I expect it to be any good, but because, you know, it's going to be horrible. Well, well, Fast, and and furious, Fast and the Furious Underwater Drift. Uh, <laughs> suck it. And I, I'm actually... Worry, but it looks like Reed might have as a good shot because he's actually talked about how they're gonna they're gonna adapt the uh, Red Eye story, which is the beginning, you know, the first few episodes of the series. Yeah, yeah. well, the first episode. Yeah, first episode. Wait, don't tell me the Red Eye is gonna be the whole movie. I don't know if it is or not, but that's what he's saying, and he's actually saying in this news report. So apparently, he's you know talked to some people. So, man, well, I don't know. Maybe if he's a fan, ah, that probably won't even help. <laughs> What he was mean? almost good in the uh, in the Hellraiser movie. Or you mean uh, the Constantine? Yeah. Yeah. Well, other than he was not English, not blonde, um, he was pretty good. Strangely. Like, uh, he, I, I felt he was sort of pretending like he was Agent Smith the entire time. But, you know, <laughs> maybe he can do the same thing. Uh, but, who cares? But, anyways. <laughs> and as we said, you know... Christmas time has already been passed, but that doesn't mean you should be enjoying some good Christmas music. And by good, I mean 8-bit. Thankfully, Dr. Octorok has got you covered with his latest compilation, 8-Bit Jesus. (laughs) 
which is 18 tracks of popular Christmas carols, only redone as uh, 8-bit songs that are actually based off of actual video game music, like they have, you know, the uh, Legend of Noel, which is a <laughs> Legend of Zelda rendition of the first Noel. Oh, Carol of the Belmonts, which is, you know, <laughs> Carol of the Bells set in a Castlevania style. Aren't there God Bless You, Merry Vampires? Or... Something like that, and yeah. Jingle Brothers, which is Mario Brothers. Yeah. And what's weird is that they, in fact, actually sound like the video game music if it was Christmas music. Where can we get this shit? We'll post a link to it. I bought my flash drive with it already on it, so you can just get it from me. But he's got it on his website. You can download it for free, but if you uh, donate $15 to him, he's actually going to send you an actual like, C- like professionally produced CD with you know art and everything. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. And apparently uh, the director of Read or Die, his first actual film is currently still in the works. Tomonori Ochikoshi. He also directed uh, Read or Die and Kamichu, and apparently he's still working on it. Hmm. Uh, he originally announced a project with uh, that was known as the Uchu Show, or the Space Show. No one's quite sure if this is the actual, still the same project or not, but I really like the first Read or Die, and Kamichu is pretty good, so I kind of like to see what he'll do with that actual motion picture. Yeah. Read or Die is awesome. Uh. It, have you ever seen Kamichu? It's, it's no, actually pretty good. It's it's a story about a little girl who becomes a god. That sounds like I would be interested. Yeah, and she has to deal with being a high you know being like a high school middle school girl and being a god at the same time. <laughs> Is that that TV show that came out last season? Uh, no, that's uh, that's Kanagi, which was a uh, a goddess who comes to life after an art student you know carves a wooden statue, and she sort of comes an idol singer type thing. It's just probably wow. moe moe crap, but uh. But um, but no. But uh, Kaiju is just a girl who wakes up one day and is a god. Like, and um, it's it's an interesting show. But anyways, that's yeah. He's working that. on a movie, so I thought that was pretty cool. Yes. And so tonight we're talking about the 1980s classic Bubblegum Crisis. That took place was made between 1987 and 1991. There originally were supposed to be more episodes, but we only got eight because the two major music right holders, like, apparently couldn't play long, put, play nice with each other, and so they ended ended early. The uh, team that pretty much brought Bell and Crisis together was the main director, which at least according to Wikipedia, was uh, Katsuhito Akiyama. The screenwriter, Shinji Aramaki. May some of these names may be familiar to you. May they and the may ones that, and the character designer, and this is the one I really remember is Kenichi Sonoda, who has done other things like Gunsmith Cat, Riding Bean, Doll Force. He actually did the um, character designs for talking a video. Yeah. Sonoda is really good at two major things, which is guns and uh, boobs. And cars. Oh, and cars. You're right. He's in Chicago. Three good things. In Chicago. I'm fine. Well, we don't deal with Chicago in this one. No, we don't. We do deal with the other three. That's for a special upcoming one. Yes, we must do a Gunsmith Cats one. We will, we will. Jeez, guys. But tonight's Guns... Not Gunsmith Cats. It's Bolum Crisis. Which is like Gunsmith Cats, but... In the future. Only not really. Not at all. Yes. 
I mean, you've got the hot chicks and the guns, but you also get to blow up robots. Yes. And, you know, rip off Blade Runner. But yeah. In, in a good way. In good ways. In a loving way. <laughs> it's if Streets of Fire and, Bo- and Blade Runner had sex. <laughs> That'd be hot. Something like that, yeah. James still fail. It takes place in the far-flung future of 2037. I believe... No, sorry. 2032. 2032. And eventually 2033 in, like, the second half of it, but... And apparently it was after the a giant earthquake had split Tokyo in two, and so now it's known as Mega Tokyo. Well, that's after all the foreign corporations we came in and rebuilt the place. Batman <laughs> in this podcast. <laughs> Hey, this is where the sake of another regular who is not here tonight. You mean Fred Krappiger? Hey, he totally ripped Bulgum Crisis off. They should, like, AIC should sue. <laughs> well, Sad girls in plug suits. Oh, that'd be hot. The hell? What, what's your problem, Lee? Whoa. First, Whoa. You, 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 talk, talk, you talk about how you like Ronka. Now you're like, what? Fat girls in plug suits. Oh, fat girls? Yes. I thought he said sad girls. I said sad girls. I heard fat girls. <laughs> well, I mean, we know what Kevin's into now. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, then. Time to go watch uh, Kimiko DX. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's an awesome show. <laughs> Have you seen more than the first episode? Yes. Not a lot past the first episode, but yeah, it's an awesome show. And also about suits of powered armor. <clears throat> it's true. The idea is that there's this one major corporation called Genom. And they're your typical, ha we are evil, and we do evil things, and oh man, look at us evil. Mostly it takes, the evilness is around boomers, which are, you know, human-looking cyborgs that are made of metal and are like really, really buff Terminators. They're, yeah, they're, they're robots, they're androids, they're not like originally people. Just That's to true. Be, just to clear up for those who have never watched the show, you poor bastards. But, uh... <laughs> And pretty much, Genyam does all these horrible, horrible things, and it really pisses off the Night Sabers. The Night Sabers are our heroines. Vigilantes! They're this uh, group of uh, four ladies who, for whatever reason, have have had their lives screwed over due to things that Genyam has done. Is you pretty much Genyam has done. <laughs> Genia. <laughs> Life was screwed when they stopped putting out Higurashi. I know. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. It's not my, I've always had this problem. I've always thought Genion and Genon. I always thought Genion was, was a reference to Genon, kind of. <laughs> it probably is. Which is the funny part. Yeah, that's the best thing to name your company after the evil villains. Yeah. That's right. Umbrella life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be kind of interesting. Anyways. <laughs> for example, you know, Cilia, who is their leader, their dad was, of course, working on the uh, prototype boomer design when suddenly something goes wrong and... It went boom. It went boom. And he went, err, and died. And that was sad. And then he somehow sent a random videotape that suddenly infused Celia and Mackie, her brother, with untold amounts of knowledge and how to build these super advanced prototype suits. Yes, this is... That kind of falls under one of the mysteries of Bubblegum Crisis heading as much fan theory, but, uh... <laughs> and then she formed her group of uh, like-minded female individuals to become vigilantes of truth and justice and the uh, American way... Wait... The Japanican way. That's right. Pretty much. I don't know. Japan's very multicultural in this future. It's quite <laughs> true. Well, it is cyberpunk. Yeah. Well, and it works in context because all these multi, like all these foreign corporations came in after the earthquake, and like because they were like you know willing to build stuff cheap, and they of course their workers had kids, and those kids stayed and had kids, and it got sort, sort of, of like what's happening to Japan right now. <laughs> Yeah. So you're saying that Bowen Crisis 
has accurately predicted the future. We'll, well actually, actually get a, a lot of cyberpunk has, believe it or not. So, so does it mean we're actually get like flying cars by that no, point? No, but don't be surprised. Well, they don't have flying cars in Bulgum Crisis. Most true. true. They do have those cool helicopter suit things. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the personal gyrocopters. Yeah, like, those are the yeah. big ass. Motorcycles that transform. Well, I'm hoping that will happen in the future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, yeah, I'm, getting a, I'm getting my license when I can get a motorcycle that turns into a robot. I have my motorcycle license. <laughs> well, good for you, well, Brad. Well, fucking special. Yes, I am. That's why I'm on this podcast. That's right. <laughs> we hired him because he has his fucking motorcycle license. <laughs> you hired Obviously. me. Obviously. Hired you for free. Yeah. Yeah, this is getting way off track a lot. <laughs> yes. Now, Basil, why don't you explain to us what the term bubblegum crisis means. Hell if I know. I thought that was a cool name. <laughs> yeah. It vaguely has to do with the bubble economy. and. Or it also it... has to do with the fact that shit keeps building up, building up, building up until an obvious breaking point. In which I wish I'd looked up all the connotations. Well, of course, much I like... I don't know what it is. Yeah. I always thought well, it was yeah. just But much uh, like Escaflone, yeah. the guy who came up with the title... It's like once where Estefone with the guy who came off the title yeah, left the project. That too, so that's what I, you know, I believe. So yeah, yeah like Macross, they originally wanted to call it Macbeth, and just you know they argued about the title, world. so they made a compromise between what everyone wanted, and it turned out sounding like Macross. <laughs> well, they did right because Macbeth kind of isn't would there. not have worked. Yeah. Well, Bubblegum Crisis for some reason does. Yes, and the important thing is is that. The core appeal of this series is that it's got awesome action, hot chicks, and lots of guns. And blowing up lots of robots. And power suits. I healed power suits. That's yes. right. And the further thing is that Pris is awesome. Pris is awesome. Pris kicks ass. Pris is in fact awesome. This is a very important thing you must understand is that Pris is awesome. Pris is awesome. God, I love strong female characters. She's a pretty strong one. In fact, all the females are pretty strong in the series. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I mean, yes, they're they're kind of they're all attractive, and you do you know get to see some TNA you know throughout the entire show. But then themselves are also still very strong characters, despite yeah. you know Pris's ability to meet someone, and then they immediately almost immediately die. And then. Well, you know, she they have feels to, that she must be compelled to avenge them, even though she's only like known them for like five minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I knew I loved them in those five minutes. That's well, I guess since she, I think she probably has now gotten used to, for, except for the other night sabers and Leon, <laughs> that everyone she meets is destined to die pretty quickly. <laughs> so by that point, she just she's now just gotten used to the, this fact, and now just gets all all her love towards them out early. <laughs> so that way she could she could get all those feelings she would have for them over the course of her life, but in five minutes. Because <laughs> they're going to be dead before the end of the episode. That's right. To clarify for those who can't tell, this is a basal theory and has no bearing on reality. I don't know. It sort of does bear fruit if it's, you watch it's, the show. It's as true as your belief that pr- that she's a lesbian. But she is a lesbian. Well, that's debatable, I suppose. Well, but. well, I it's all well, debatable. I will admit that my belief that she's a lesbian is not something I would tell people as a yeah. solid fact. No, but well, maybe I would. Much like a lot of the early anime direct-to-video series, Bubblegum Crisis has that sort of vaguely unfinished, fan-speculatable quality that makes some of these shows really good. Because <laughs> you can't argue with your friends for days, years about the little nitpicky points they never explained in the show. <laughs> It doesn't help that, like we said, you know, after eight episodes, it ended. It did. <laughs> and yeah, before they had a chance to really, you know, tie anything up. And then they made a sequel called Bulgum Crash that actually really didn't do anything and wasn't nearly as good as the original series. No, not remotely. And, you know, what we've talked now about, we've mentioned Celia, who is their leader, and Pris, who is also the, um, their rock star, you know, main... Combat specialist, I guess. She's in a band called Pris and the Replicants. Replicants. (laughs) And in fact, most of the uh, vocal songs you hear actually is actually her singing, which is really, really kind of, and probably one of the reasons why the music companies had a big falling out. Yeah, they had issues about her doing solo performances, and it it got some kind of 
contractual dispute because she wasn't supposed to be singing by herself and there's a lot of reasons why prison or the night sabers are credited for a lot of the vocal tracks of bubblegum crisis so that turned out to be a lot like the series itself yeah and you know then there's also lena who was the other major combat character? We're not talking about Lena Inverse here. No, this is no, Lena. She's also yeah. a major combat she has two, character. She has yes. two wins in her name. This is Lena Yamazaki, who is um, she run? She's an aerobics instructor <laughs> when she's not killing robots, <laughs> which you know gives us plenty of scenes where you see a bunch of you know, you know yeah. hot you know adult female ladies. Doing aerobics. It was the eighties. It was the eighties. It was the eighties. It's so it's so refreshing to have a have a world without Lolly in it. Well, <laughs> okay, I'll agree with you on this one. Although it goes against every fiber of my being. Well, even then, you still have the little girl who oh, turns yeah. out to be the control mechanism of the of the orbital particle cannon. Okay, I guess yeah. you have I guess you have the four bearings there. There's a little Lolly, quite... which is funny because I'm absolutely no way interested in her, but. Uh, <laughs> Oh well. Well, you're not really supposed to. You're supposed to feel bad for her because you know she dies. Yeah. Oh, spoiler warning. Oh yeah. Well, we already established people die. Oh, it's true. You have to like watch this one a couple times, especially when they meet any member of the Night Sabers, Pris oh, specifically. <laughs> it's true. Now the second episode, they let Lena be the person that they meet, but you know, I guess they decided that afterwards that, that Pris was really the one they wanted to have the full of you know anger and rage. That's required no, that's to right. to fully extract their vengeance upon Genom. Yeah, Pris is at her best when she's really, really pissed off. There we go. So they make sure that she gets pissed off a lot. Yes. I was I was like talking during the podcast because I was helping him play. We were watching James. I'm playing Mega Man Nine and I'm sucking hardcore yes. at it. Well, it's not a game that's easy. In, in case you haven't told, this is going to be a very, very casual. Open off-topic podcast. Apparently, who <laughs> died again? I mean, I want to be all about the hardcore. James, <laughs> everyone oh, dies. Everyone dies except for the night savers and Leon. Uh, Leon is the local cop who's sort of friendly with Pris and wants to get in her pants. Kind but... of, sort of, but not really his girlfriend. Yeah, oh. I heard they got together in like a drama CD, but those aren't really canon, are they? Not really. No. And then there's the other two police members. Well, okay, I'm, I'm... Oh, well, there's Nene, who's the actual... The fourth member of the Night Savers, who works for the cops. Who is a cop. She's the Sailor Mercury of their Sentai team. Basically. Yeah, she's, the, she's a computer yeah. geek. She's the electronic warfare expert. Anything that doesn't involve actually hitting or shooting something is her specialty. Though she does, you can't hit and can shoot, and occasionally will, you know, win. Occasionally. Occasionally. She's also the one that sort of, you know, will tap on her forehead and, and scan the enemy to find their weak points. Sadly, she was the only character who got more awesome in Crash. She was the only character who well, got more awesome Well, she had so much more Crash. room. I mean, she's someone awesome, especially when she's actually doing her, her magical computer hacking. Yes, their computer hacking stuff is cool, but in Crash they decided, hey, what if she could actually fight? <laughs> and then there is, um, what's his face? Oh, uh, Daily. Daily. Daily Wong. Yes. Leon's partner. Leon's flamingly homosexual partner. Hey, he was gay before gay was, was cool to be an anime. That's true, and he is cool gay. <laughs> and he's, he's already rocking the pink shirt and the pop collar. Yep. Yeah, this is way back in you know, the 80s before that, was, before that was like a big thing to do in college. Oh, come on, Don Johnson. <laughs> and it was, he's sort of, well, okay, it is played for laughs to an extent that he's gay, haha, he's got a crush on Leon, but they have a very good relationship. And they have a very good friendly relationship that doesn't really, you know, poke fun at him being gay. It's just the show itself sometimes is, haha, he's gay, so that's funny. It's true, but it's not like, you know... It's not in a mean way, or even, well, maybe a little bit of a mean way, but... <laughs> but, but it works. Works for them. It's not nearly as insensitive as they could have been about it. <laughs> and this is, you know, this is... And I've seen a lot more characters that were way more insensitive about it then. Yeah. For the like, time, it was quite progressive. It was, you know, especially with the all, you know, all American cast. and <laughs> Yeah, so many people are. As all American as you can get in 1980. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the police chief was black, right? Yeah, the police chief was as a black guy. As opposed to the uh, ping pong club white guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> He's stinky, hairy, blonde haired, and blue eyed. <laughs> 
Now, one of the best parts about the series, of course, it's an action series, and it's got a lot of really, really, really good action. It's really dynamic and really flows well. You don't really see that as much these days. It's bloody and <laughs> awesome. It's it's definitely something you no longer see nowadays. I've actually I actually went back and watched it recently, and I kind of realized, damn, this this show's violent. <laughs> <laughs> it is, you know, the old blood splatters. Of course, this was. Especially if you've seen a lot of recent anime. Well, yeah, but remember, this is also an OAV. This is yeah. where you know they didn't have to worry about ratings or anything. They could just put up whatever they want. People would this buy was, it on yeah. video. This was back in the eighties when, in that glorious time when anime had to have no specific purpose other than just yeah. some guy was like, "Hey, I got this idea for a show. Okay, here's some money. Cool. Good times. <laughs> good times. Man, nobody can afford to do an OIV now unless they've had a successful TV show to voice through their... Uh, yeah, there's very not a whole lot of direct-to-video stuff anymore, and it's like, well, do you have a successful manga that it's based on? Did you make a TV series lately? No money for you. <laughs> or if it's a video game, a lot yeah. of the tale stuff tends to be. But no, this is back when you could do this sort of thing. And because it's an OIV, it got a much better budget than you would get in a normal TV series. Thankfully, this really helps because even though it definitely looks in a way dated, it still looks really, really good. All the animation is very fluid, and it's very, very detailed. Right down to the Budweiser ads and the computer displays. Yes. And you actually, it's it's way more detailed than you normally see nowadays, especially with the way the anime is done digitally. Because this was still a cell animation, you know, it took a lot more time and really animating everything. Some poor bastard had to draw all of it, and he did the best job he could. <laughs> in addition to the details, you can also tell... One reason I personally like old anime is, in my opinion, it was a lot more dynamic. Like, all the angles they used, and just... All the stuff that was going on in certain scenes. Like, if you watch a fight scene now, and you watch Bubblegum Crisis, they're totally different. And they're a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that you could definitely tell that this was designed for a very specific audience. Males, you know, probably, you know, teenagers to young adults. And let me tell you, as a young adult male, they, they certainly hit their mark. Yes. Yep. Boobies and guns. Boobies and guns. And I'm blowing up freaking robots. Yep. yep. Mean robots who what need blowing up. You know, and you never really see just how quite, I mean, I guess Genom is pretty evil, but they're more or less... They're, they're, the, they're the kind that's evil for... that are evil just to be evil. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't seem like they're really there making money. They're just there to be, ha we're filthy rich and we're evil. We're antagonists. They like, you know, we could be building robots to help humanity and fix everyone's problems, but no, we're just gonna like buy out ghettos and trash people's houses. <laughs> just to build up more death machines. Orphan little boys and you know, crazy and, shit like that. And there's no, and there's no particular reason why they're doing this. They don't. Like, there's no actual business reason for why they want to do this. They're just doing it. <laughs> so I guess that's a pretty good reason why the night sabers will will take. You know, and I guess it's kind of interesting how they how they handle it because they're a mercenary outfit. They do this stuff for cash, which means that people are paying them to to fight this evil corporation for them. Ostensibly, ostensibly, they, and even though they would do this themselves anyways, sometimes they do. You know, they they're still making money out of it. Not that I think they really need the money. You know, most silly episodes, me. very few episodes, they ever actually seem to make a buck. To be honest, uh, the cowboy bebop syndrome. I mean, it's like Cilia's filthy, stinking rich, but so it's like it's true. They almost don't need it, but it seems like. Much of the grand tradition of Shadowrun, they usually get screwed over by their employers or somehow never get paid. <laughs> but hopefully, maybe, I don't know, maybe times they do get paid that way because they charge so freaking much. Yeah, well, I think they have to get a retainer. I guess that's true. I do think I remember that, you know, so much deposited in the account. So they just never get the final payment, it seems. <laughs> but man, poor... Poor Pris. She, she can't form a relationship lasting relationship with anybody for like longer than like an episode episode. if you're lucky maybe two Uh, yeah that was she was kind of an acquaintance really she didn't really become a friend until the next episode where she died (laughs) (laughs) spoilers guys yeah we're free I think we established 
there's spoiler. I didn't name any names. I didn't say Henri or Sylvie, and yeah, spoiler. But man, one of the greatest things you're going to really like about this show is the music. Oh God, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean it, it's very '80s, but yes, it's, it's very, rock and roll. Very, very '80s. The, the 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 rock and roll is very very '80s. All the Pris songs are are really cool and rocking. All the actual like you know background music and action scenes are have this awesome like synth stuff go, going on in the background and really really makes you feel like you know you're this this is cyberpunk the way cyberpunk was meant to be made in the 80s <laughs> indeed there were usually about three or four different songs that aired per episode too so there's basically one full soundtrack for every single yeah, uh, the OAV episode. It's true. So yeah, you break into a fight scene. You got a whole new it's, song for it. It's it's another collection to go for. Oh, definitely. Like you can actually, if you look, you can find you know, the music subway somehow. Some of them are more famous than others, like Konya uh, Hurricane, Soldier Girl, Girls, you know, Mad Machine, Bye Bye My Crisis. I'm kind of fond of Rock Me. And then there's always Mr. Dandy. Mr. Dandy. Yeah. The song, the random song that's sung by a guy that sounds <laughs> yeah. totally different than the rest of the show. I actually kind of a big Dandy's fan awesome. of uh, episode four with Devil and Angels Kiss. That's one of my favorites. There's a, there's a lot of lot of really good songs. Well, you know they're good because I think that if somebody were to make remakes of those songs today, they would sound really good. It also helps that's usually the hallmark of a good song from the eighties. That you know, two of the major you know money you know producers for this show were music companies. Yep. Yeah, that <laughs> that helps. And so because of that, you know, I think they one of the major focuses of the show was its music, and that's why the reason why it stopped was because of all the rights management issues they had with you know the songs and, and they Chris use and these songs like. Usually in the major fight scenes, they'll use them in the fight scenes. They'll usually but everywhere too. Like every major fight scene in the series has one of these songs. So it's almost like one long eight episode long AMV. It's sort of, and every time you know that every Let's... the opening of each episode is a new song as well. Exactly. Oh yeah, of course. There's the uh, little like bonus episodes that are basically half hour long AMVs. Mm-hmm. They're just collections of the music. Man, I remember watching. Last night, rewatching the very first episode, I forget forgot how majestic they make this show seem. Mm-hmm. Like where you know they suddenly you hear this bam bam bam, you know this 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 giant this big synth thing as it's showing you the city of you know Mega Tokyo and all its dirty grime and whatnot. In some ways, it's a total Blade Runner rip. But it's done well. <laughs> it's done very well, and you see like the people, the good side, the bad side. They show you hens of you know the giant monsters about to run a monk. You see these random people that you don't realize quite yet are the actual night savers who are just acting like normal people. Well, they are normal people most and, of the time. <laughs> and then as as the as the big the, uh... synth you know orchestra type thing ends, it it shows up you know at this bar at this club. And suddenly, you know, you see, you know, Pris live on stage, and then they bust right into Hurricane. And you're like, oh man, this is the stuff. Yes. And then while, you know, Pris is rocking out, you've got, you know, the, the AD police, you know, failing miserably, as they tend to do against, you know, a boomer. Yeah, sadly, the cops are seriously not prepared for fighting military hardware, trying to kill things in their it's city. It's very cliche, though. It is, but it does a very, very, very good job of setting up just what this show is and the world that you're about to experience and everything. It wasn't it's quite very... totally cliche at the time, either. Yeah. Not quite yet. It was going its way, though. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, this was one of the things that really started the whole cliche. Yeah, this was one of the original, you know, trend centers. And I just thought, I just remember re-watching that first scene again and going, man. It was like, I was, it was... Like I was, you know, shot back into you know, the early '90s when I first got into anime, and this was one of the first shows I ever saw when I, that I realized was anime, you know, subtitle and all that, and it really it brought me back. But I felt like I could still appreciate it now, and it was just, it was just, it's one of my probably one of my favorite scenes. Just that that opening montage, it's an anime period. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Mine's probably basically what we're saying is Bowling Crisis rules. It, rules. It, it, it does. It, it rocks and it rules, and you should totally, totally watch it. Yeah. Well, I am disappointed to hear that you know I never finished the original series quite all the way through, and I'm, I'm disappointed to hear that it got you know stunted like that. It's true. I mean, it's really sad, and it's further sad that they never really completed it. I mean, yeah. did the uh, 2040 remake ever really... Well, it had a complete story, it more did. or less. It sadly well, completely... It sadly completely lacks Largo, which is one of the most awesome villains in anime. But It's uh, true. He's only in the direct-to-video series, kids, so uh, he's, he's awesome. He's evil. Uh, he's got a gravity gun in his arm. Uh. <laughs> Some people like to rag on the 2040 series, but if you haven't seen the original or seen much of it and watch it with an open mind, it's okay. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's, oh, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. But it's the, just not I think good. the biggest complaint was some of the characters in that series, Chris in particular, were, were yeah. completely different yeah. from from the original, you know, their original personas in a way. How yeah. was... How was Chris different. Chris was the complete opposite. She was uh, she wasn't really that emotional. Um, she was sort of the cold, calculating type, exactly. leave me alone sort of. She's the brooding Whereas, loner. Well, she's sort yeah. of is a brooding loner, but um, well, well, she's a well, she's a more extroverted loner in uh, yeah, she the original make those series. Bonds that she does throughout the original. Yeah, series. she pretty much grudgingly makes friends with any of the night savers, and that's yeah. the only friend she really makes in the series. In the. Uh, it's almost TV as series. As, it's almost as if she's watched the original Bubblegum Crisis. Like, <laughs> exactly. Fuck this. Like, fuck this shit. I'm not making friends with anybody. I'll kill them all. It's true, because, you know, it's kind of weird. And then the, and the OADs, she is sort of a loner, yet she's the one that beats everyone as friends and, you know, babysits, you know, the random, you know, child who only has his mother now and... I guess I never really thought about it, but yeah, she's sort of a very sociable... She's a very sociable person who doesn't like people. She's always like, I'm alone and cool loner and it's, oh, new person, let's make friends. Oh, you died. I'm angry! No, I must extract my revenge against the evil corporation. Yeah. She's also totally not afraid to take on a killer robot without her suit of armor, although that almost never goes well. You know, sadly... Pipe does not beat robot. Not often. Even if it's a lead pipe. Yeah. Yeah, now your little cut down um, pistol that uses armor piercing rifle ammo might help, but still probably not going to kill one either. <laughs> and you would think she would learn that the bodyguards of Genom are probably going to be boomers. Yep. Because <laughs> she tries several times, like, I'm going to defeat you as a human being. Uh, the bodyguard has struck me. Wait, he has inhuman strength. Oh, wait, he's a boomer. Duh. It's, you know, who would think the company that makes them would use them as bodyguards? <laughs> er. So, okay, so maybe this show doesn't always make all the most logical conclusions. But that's okay because it's really, really fun to watch. Exactly. Oh, it's awesome. This is not going to, this is not exactly, while it tries to sort of go, what's human, what's reality, you know, the, the stuff you tend to to get into when you're dealing with, you know, robots that are very, very human-like. Cyberpunk in general. But it's it's not really a deep show. It's it's more, it's the kind of show you you pop. You know, it's a popcorn flick. Yeah, they like I don't know. Around about five and six, we get a little bit of oh, the boomers are just like people. They're you know, some of them just want to be left alone and be nice with humanity, and no one lets them because if you're a nice boomer, you have to die. <laughs> And usually not because, and usually it's just you know due to circumstances you know not their own. It's not their fault. It's just no one's allowed to have a happy life because guess what? If you're a nice boomer, chances are you're going to meet Pris. And if you meet Pris, well, guess what? You're going to die. You're going to die. It's it's n- nothing personal. It's just what happens. Any consolation, whatever killed you will probably die by Pris. But <laughs> so don't worry, your death will never go unavenged. That's the Pris guarantee. Pretty much if you're a character in Bulldog Crisis and you don't make it through two episodes, you're going to die pretty quickly. <laughs> but man, if you can last those two episodes... You're in. You're in. We'll never see you again, but you're in. <laughs> yeah. You might show up in some weird side material somewhere. <laughs> Hello, 
Awesome! That awesome! Should we get Bubble Crisis? Time to time to watch anime and chew bubble gum and a lot of crisis. <laughs> Big booby. I'm hard having suit a crisis arm. trying to decide. Uh, four hard-suited, high-heeled, armored vigilantes of awesome. How about a bubble of awesome that keeps getting bigger until it bursts and we die of awesome? And then press Avengers. Avengers. Us. Us. Okay. okay, that works. You know, I was looking online today to make sure of prices, and you can still actually buy the series. Um, there are individual discs and a box set, both by Animigo. I believe I want to say that each of the individual discs you can buy for like six or seven bucks a pop, which are only four discs, or you can buy the entire box set between forty and fifty dollars. The box set though includes a soundtrack for at least a music video DVD as well. Yeah, the two Hurricane Live, yes. which are the little. And music video. It's a mix of animated music videos and actual live footage sometimes of the actual voice actresses, which is kind of weird. But And I know at least in the box set that I got from my Amigo, I don't know about the actual individual discs, but the box set was remastered, and so all the video's been touched up and looks extra nice. Oh, it's nice. And I was, I was watching it on my PS3 on my high-def TV, and... Well, it, it would do the standard little jittery stuff that you normally get in standard def DVs in high definition. It, it looked really good on my set, and I was actually kind of impressed. Because sometimes the older stuff will not look good. Uh, usually the DVD quality isn't, just isn't there for them to upscale it enough. But the remastered DVDs looked really, really good on my TV. It looked yeah. almost as good as my Gurren Lagann DVDs, which looked really good. I'm trying to remember if Golden Crisis was one of the things going on Blu-ray in Japan here in the near future. I know Riding Bean was, which Kenichi Sonoda also worked on, but... I think Bubblegum Crisis is an upcoming, or has released on Blu-ray in Japan. Man, I would love to get Bubblegum Crisis on Blu-ray. That'd be That's really cool. That's awesome, and I bet it includes extras that you know, we don't know about that are really yeah. cool. Kenichi so. Sonoda talking about how AIC screwed him over and how he's never going to work for them you again. You gotta look that up. <laughs> I mean, I love Chris's AIC hat. Yeah. <laughs> I want it. Yeah. And helmets. Before I realized that was an actual corporation, you know, I was always saying, man... It made sense for like Alice in Chains because I like Alice in Chains, <laughs> but you know, ASC does that all the time. I've seen like ASC clocks in anime, and they're always doing that. Another thing about AIC is they always destroy one of their own buildings. That's <laughs> true. Just doesn't like, that happen in VGC? Probably. 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 I don't know. There are particle beams coming down out of the sky in one episode. A couple episodes, actually. There's quite a few AIC animes where I see AIC being destroyed. Because, you know, they, they make use of that orbital, orbital you know, strike thing mm-hmm. True. the yeah. satellites. They mention it, then they use it in a few episodes. It's, it's actually a sort of a recurring theme, a little plot thread that they do. Yeah. It's, and it's the, you know, they seem episodic and they don't always tie into each other, but they do eventually when you actually... They, I don't know, I mean, in episode... Okay, this is really spoiled territory, folks. Episode one, you know, they 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 introduce the 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 orbital yeah. the laser thing, and then the episode two, you see them extract you know the corpse of the little girl control mechanism. They plot the black box, to put in the super boomer. Yeah, you know, and they destroy the super boomer. Then I think they grab the black box again and put it in something else. I mean, they they keep they keep pulling it out. Well, you know, yeah, they're sort of a it's like, well, you know, one, two, and three kind of make a, a story arc. Yeah. Four is kind of standalone. Five and six kind of make their own story arc, and it goes back to one, two, and three. And seven goes back to episode two, and eight's just kind of on its own because they had only one more to do. And we get to have a bunch of fun stuff with Nene because she's been pretty ignored so far. <laughs> oh, poor Nene. Even though, you know, she's got her crazy little antics and being, being the cute one. She's the cute one, but she's totally not as annoying as that post usually is now. 
<laughs> it's yeah. true. It's true. She's totally not Seiko. She just no. has uh, pink hair, and that's, that's really about it. Yeah, pink hair, a perky attitude, but... And, and she's the short one. Yeah, and she's the short one. But really, isn't that all you need? Yeah. But it's so totally not, I don't know, for an example, uh, in, Index. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, thank God, it's not Index. <laughs> Let's say you have a that's not awesome this season. Freaking something, something Index. Toru no Majutsu no Index. It, it would it's, be totally awesome if the title character wasn't in the show. It's true. <laughs> like, it's got a really great idea, some really great premises... And then it also features Index, who's like the epitome of like moi moi bullshit. Like, just straight up, she sucks. I like the show. The show is great except for the the title character. And unfortunately she's a title character and I just can't... I can't forget it. I haven't quit watching it yet, but it's come close several times. What episode are you up to? Whatever they're up to. Ah, it helps. Or no, whatever they've released oh, up to. Cool. I, I can't remember what number. Some shit happens. This is totally not about Bubblegum Crisis, though. Uh, it's true. So I guess that's the end of our Bubblegum Crisis coverage. For now. For now. Unless There's we always do... 20, 30, 20, 40, whatever the hell it is. We 20, can always 30. do Crash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tune in next time when we pray Eric will join us. And maybe I'll be able to do Gunsmith Cats or something. I don't know. Anyways, if you want to contact us, say hello or whatnot, you can always leave us a comment in the comment section of our website, osmcast.com, or send us an email, awesomecast at gmail.com, or you can also leave us a voicemail. The voicemail is the best way to go because we're eventually going to get a segment together. We'll read your, you know, your old read your, what am I thinking? We'll play play your your, voicemail. We'll play your voicemail on, and then we'll, you know, Ridicule. I mean, answer your your concerns. And it would sound pretty stupid if it's all just us. <laughs> it's true. There's, there's there's like not totally any that I've done and sent in. There's none of them. None of them are me. Hey, one time we got one where it was actually like a, a bill a bill collector, and they thought that we were the bill they're collecting. Even though I say this is the awesome line for a podcast, but anyways, <laughs> the number is for the awesome line for you to call us is area code two zero six two zero two. Zero zero seven one. Send us a bill. I mean, <laughs> shut up. Message. Don't do that. A voicemail, or a said email or comment. We'll take anything. We just want to know you exist. Maybe we should do like a contest or something. Oh, yeah. That requires people to like you know. Ooh. We'll figure it out. Anyways, until next week. Goodbye, and good luck. James died. Fuck you. Those 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 robots are bastards. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>